Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked On Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, here as we are around 24 hours as we're recording this from Game 1 of the Eastern Conference Finals of Fireserve Forum. That's a 7.30 p.m. tip-off Wednesday night. Today's episode is brought to you by Spotify Greenroom. Download the app and join me next week to get in on the action. Uh, that's Greenroom changing the way we talk about sports. Now, I teased this episode earlier in the week. Very excited to welcome back. Uh, once you come on the second time, you're officially a friend of the podcast. So friend of the podcast, back to the show. Legendary Buck on court, legendary Buck in the broadcast booth, Marcus Johnson. Uh, welcome back, man. It's a pleasure to have you back on the show. Uh, always a pleasure to join you, Kane. Thank you very much for uh, anointing me as a friend of the show. That's a step up, so I'm, I'm Thank you. I'm sure out of all the accolades you've had, this one's going to rank very highly. So that's, uh, that's, that's good to know. Uh, Marcus, you, you mentioned to me before we started recording that you've been watching some pretty good basketball. And I would say certainly from our point of view, it's been some entertaining basketball. And we're very happy that the Bucks have moved through to the conference finals. But I want to start with that game seven um, for you and through the season. And this is, this is one of the shames, I think, for local fans that, we get so used to listening to you watching these games. And I've said this has been one of the, the great things for me being back in Australia. I've actually been able to listen to you and Jim on the broadcast. But now you're in a position where you're at home, I assume. You're watching this game. What was Game 7 like for you? How are you uh, uh, enjoying or perhaps not enjoying that experience of Game 7 against Brooklyn? Well, Kane, it was... And I was talking with my mother this afternoon. She's 94 years old and she was talking about just how nerve-wracking games <laughs> was for her. But I told you, you know, it was like God doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. I actually had a graduation ceremony of my granddaughter, Kalila, my oldest son, Chris's daughter, uh, just graduated high school. Uh, so she graduated at SoFi Stadium. They got a nice little performing arts center. Um, uh, you know, so, so, so I was able to get away from being able or for being um, actually glued to the TV on pins and needles and, and uh, just kind of, you know, experiencing every ebb and flow of the game. I had a buddy of mine, Lance Reed, who lives in Milwaukee, big time Bucks fans. His daughter, Sugar Mama, has been to every home game in the playoffs. And uh, we've had a lot of success with her there. So I'm going to keep that Sugar Mama flow going. But, his, but uh, Lance was keeping me abreast of, of what was going on. But I didn't want to know too much. You know what I mean? I, I'm not one of those fanatics that's going to not want to know the score and try and watch it from start to finish. I knew that would be impossible with all the, 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 the media uh, at, at, at my disposal. But at the same time, I, I was enjoying the graduation, trying to, trying to stay away from it. But Lance texted me, Kane, and told me right around halftime, Bucks had gotten down almost 10 points, maybe 10 points. And he said he didn't like the, the, the way this felt, that the Bucks were, were, were displaying no energy, uh, the, no intensity, no sense of urgency. So I told him to chill out. I said, look, man, 
hit me back when the Bucks go up five in the second half. That's when we'll know that, that they've got this thing under control. And so he never hit me back. And so I said, well, they never went up five. He's like, no, they didn't. But when I watched the replay, they actually did go up five momentarily. Then Joe Harris came down and, and hit a three. It was about a, you know, about a five-second, five-point lead. But the point is, is that uh, I got a chance to get away from the, 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 the intensity of each and every possession. But the good thing about it was that the graduation finished. There were still seven minutes left in the fourth quarter. So I listened to that on NBA radio headed home. I, don't, I lived uh, not too far from uh, SoFi Stadium. So by the time I got home, it was three minutes left in regulation. So I saw all of regulation, all of overtime. And <laughs> that was plenty. That was more. <laughs> that, was, that was way more than enough of my field of exciting, intense, uh, just pins and needles basketball. So I can imagine uh, what you guys were feeling watching it from start to finish. Well, PJ Tucker post-game described it as one of the longest days of his life. Now, I, I, I at least had the benefit of waking up here in Australia and basically turning the game on. So it was a little bit easier for me. I didn't have to worry about spending a whole day waiting for tip-off. But one thing that you tweeted, and you've been doing a few clips, we're going to sort of discuss some of this stuff but one of the things you tweeted was that this Bucks team of years gone by whatever it is the last couple of seasons wouldn't have won that game and I did a, a radio spot in Milwaukee or I guess earlier this morning and I was asked was I surprised that they won game seven and I said from a basketball point of view in terms of the trend of the series the way the Bucks were playing the men, the men that were on the court no I wasn't surprised that they could win that game but given the circumstances the 20 lead changes the 10 tires being on the road going down late in the fourth quarter yeah I was surprised that they were able to pull that out and it was incredibly impressive so what contributes to that Marcus when you say that this team wouldn't have done that in the past and I know there's a lot of things that do whether it's losing personnel but what did you notice from this team throughout this playoff run so far in terms of reacting to adversity very well well, just this series. I mean, and, and, and my oldest son, Chris, who played at UCLA, he's a big basketball guy. We, we get into it all the time uh, just about basketball and this Bucks team. And, and when it was two zip, he said it was over. And I kept telling him, it's like, man, we haven't played anywhere near our best basketball. And that's not saying that the Nets had. But, uh, you, know, we, you, know, as you know, we shot abysmally. I mean, our, our three-point field goal percentage, I, I don't know the exact numbers, but, I mean, it was just way below what this team is capable of. And guys like Brent Forbes and Bobby Porters and even Pat Connaughton and stretches couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. And that's just not who this team has been all season long. And so I just felt like even Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, I mean, come on. I mean, Drew, the way – he just looked like, as Howard Cosell would say, a shell of his former self. You know, he was just not the Drew Holiday that, that I've watched since high school. So I saw as a freshman in college, watched closely in the NBA. And so I just felt like this team was going to play better at some point. And I felt like even when we had the big lead uh, in game six, you know, I wasn't surprised that we didn't win that game. And, and so a lot of people I knew – um, all my fellows were like, well, man, that was our golden opportunity. This thing is done. I was like, no, I felt like it was going to go seven anyway. And I just felt like, look, I also posted on Twitter that I had three game seven disappointments. I'm not sure how many more game sevens the Bucks have lost on the road in their history, but it's been a lot. And I've been a part of three of them. I just felt just from that standpoint that that luck was, 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 it was bound to shine in our favor at some point, but even more importantly than that, this team, 
uh, with, since the acquisition of P.J. Tucker especially, and with Drew Holiday on board in the beginning, I just always felt that mentally this was a really tough basketball team. And so watching the game here, uh, and then, and don't, you know, Steve Nash did a, did a really solid job, but I thought he made a mistake playing KD the entire game twice in this series for a guy who's 15 years in the league, who's been out a year plus with the – you know what I mean? His body's in a different place than it's ever been. The way the Bucks were up in him, P.J. Tucker, Chris, Drew, the way they were pressuring him, making him have to expend so much energy to get his shot up and, and to create separation. I thought he was bionic, bionic for a minute, the bionic man. Oh, my goodness. You know, because he's playing the whole game and knocking down just big shots, incredible shots. But I just felt like at some point, you know, that that was going to catch up with him. And I thought when, his, when he told the line on that three-point shot at the end of regulation – that was kind of a, a mental fatigue thing where he didn't get behind the line and you know, your mind is racing, you're, you're, you're tired, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're on fumes. And so I thought that possibly was uh, evidence of him being fatigued, but, but, but uh, especially that last shot uh, in overtime against Drew that just was three feet short. It, you know, it took a while for it to catch up. It took the, it took the last possession of a seven-game series, but I think it finally caught up to him and a good thing for the Bucks that it did because, uh, I mean, he was on another planet in this series. All right, Marcus, I'm just going to talk a little bit more about our friends over at Spotify Green Room. Green Room is the first social audio platform made for sports fans. This app is free to download. And once you're in, you can talk with me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time about your favorite team or sport. I'll be hosting a Spotify Green Room next week. So you can join in with the conversation with me and we can talk all things Milwaukee Bucks as they continue their run to the NBA Finals. Go download the free Spotify Green Room app now, currently available on all iOS and Android, I believe, devices. Be sure to create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the NBA group for the latest league updates. Follow me, at Kane Pittman, and you'll be notified when my room goes live. I know you won't want to miss it. I'm planning to be live uh, next week at some point on an off night in the Eastern Conference Finals. I can't wait to hear everyone's thoughts on the box. See you there. That's Green Room, changing the way we talk about sports. Today on Road to the Finals, our NBA playoff coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. And at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, we can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. Marcus, I tweeted during the second quarter of Game 7 that it's a little bit of a concern that everyone on the court looks fatigued. Everyone looks a little tight, except for Kevin Durant. And you're right. In the overtime, it finally caught up with him. Bucks were 2-8 and eight all time in Game 7s before this game as well. So not a good record there. Uh, as far as P.J. Tucker goes, um, we know the physicality that he plays with. We know what he's brought to this team in terms of toughness. I, don't, I, I mean, this is exactly what the Bucks traded for him for this series, and he delivered. I think one of the things that hasn't been spoken about, because I've saw some conversation that, well, how can you say P.J. Tucker did a good job? Kevin Durant averaged 35 points. He was efficient. I think one of the underrated parts of this was the fact that, as you pointed to when you look at the fatigue, Chris Melton was still making shots in, the, in overtime. And he was still making shots in the fourth quarter. And he would have been the man defending KD if it wasn't P.J. Tucker. An excellent point. And, and so that's what and, – and I've always felt like P.J. Tucker would bring some relief to both Chris and Giannis in so many different areas defensively uh, with his ability to guard multiple positions at 6'5", 245, whatever, whatever it is he is. Uh, but also, uh, I, I felt that 
it's like body blows in boxing. I just, you know, the cumulative effect of PJ up in your face. I mean, there was one interchange they had on the free throw line. I don't know what the hell. They were. It was late in the game, and they're just they're talking like they're talking about the best restaurants in, in, in Brooklyn or so. You know, it's just, just kind of, and PJ's arguing with him, like, no, I like to go here. No, I like, you know, you, I don't know what they were talking, but, but, that, <laughs> but that's, that's how PJ is so effective at getting into uh, your head as, as, a, as a player, as a, as a defensive player, but just a guy out there, just the chatter, the physicality. I, I wish I would have counted how many times Durant hit the, hit the deck in that game. It had to be at least six to seven times. And one time he hit the deck hard, and you saw this great camera shot of Kevin Durant's mother saying to P.J. Tucker, this is basketball. This ain't football. And P.J. says, I think he says, hey, I love you. And she's like, yeah, well, I love you too. You know, I don't know, whatever that interchange was. But that's the, that's the kind of basketball that he brought to this team. And it just – it just wears on you mentally. As great, a, as great a series as Durant had, I thought that P.J. Tucker, it took a while, like I mentioned. It took until the final moment, final possession of the seventh game. But I think it finally, you know, Kevin Durant finally broke. You know, it took him a long time. And give him respect and props for being able to hold out Kevin Durant as long as he did and play a spectacular uh, basketball as he played. But it got to that point, that, that, that last shot, man, when he shot the air ball. I turned to my son, Chris, and I was like, he wore him down. He finally got to him, and uh, it couldn't have come at uh, a more better moment. Yeah, the resilience of P.J. Tucker and the determination to do it for seven games straight is just absolutely out of this world. Before, I've got a couple of questions about the Atlanta series. We'll move to that. But the one I, I can't go on without asking you about Giannis. One of the things that's really crazy to me, and, and I don't know why it seems to be just Giannis that, that goes through this, but if you looked at the narratives from this season, uh, from this series against Brooklyn, it was all negative about Giannis. It was the free throws. It was the shot selection. It was the fact that he can't carry a team in the postseason. And then you look at the numbers at the end of this series. The man averaged 33 and 13 and 57% from the field. I think it's absurd the, the attention he gets from national media in terms of what he's able to do. But his performance in Game 7 was an all-timer. Yeah, well, look, you know, and, and, and I'm a voice kind of crying out alone in the wilderness. But I've always felt for 20-plus years now that that the MVP voting, like when I played and, and even when I voted in the 90s with the Sonics, it was just, it was postal mail. It wasn't computerized. So it took a while for the turnaround. So you needed some time. Nowadays with the in instantaneous computerized voting, you can get results in what, 10 minutes or less. I've always felt that, 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 I, 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 that the MVP voting would be more indicative of who was the actual most valuable player if it was held after the finals. My point came and most people disagree, and I don't care about that. But my point is that this would have been Giannis's most deserving case this season so far. I think mean, we still got a lot of basketball left to be played. The old cliche, but but the reason. And here's the, here's the other deal. So everybody says that the MVP, and I'm gonna gonna, gonna venture off track for a moment here. But the MVP is a regular season award. But yet, and Eric Name admitted this that his writing brethren, his voting brethren. They were not going to vote for Giannis for MVP until he proved he could do it in the postseason. So what you're telling me is that it's not a regular season award. What you do in the postseason has hella bearing on whether or not you're considered for an MVP. And so this season, you know, even though Giannis's last two MVP awards, well-deserved regular season domination, let's keep it real. I mean, Kawhi Leonard was the best player two years ago, start to finish, even though he missed 22 games for uh, load management or whatever. Last year, probably LeBron, start to finish. was This year, Giannis, I think this would have been his most deserving if that, that type of uh, 
a protocol was in place where you waited until after the season. So to your point, he's playing phenomenal basketball. And I got into it with the Bucks film room guy. I don't even know his name, but, but on Twitter. But he, he was talking about how Giannis should not shoot any more threes. And my point was that, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of truth to that on paper. But the way Giannis is wired, you've got to give him the freedom to mess up. You know what I mean? You've got to give him the freedom. He's the kind of guy that if he goes 0 for 6, 0 for 8 from the three-point line, he's going to get you a spectacular block. He's going to go down the middle and throw down a fierce dunk that gets the team fired up. He's going to do some extra stuff like Will Chamberlain back in my day used to do who'd miss a bunch of free throws in a row but would wind up scoring 50, 60 points in the course of a game. So Giannis is wired. This few players, Shaq was like that that can mess up in one aspect, free throw shooting, but then turn it up in so many other aspects to make themselves the, the, the impact of the game and lead you to victory. Yeah, we've spoke about this because I, I think it's a really complicated conversation and it certainly can't be simplified as looking at him missing a three and say he can't shoot it. I think we've seen in Philadelphia, and this isn't comparing Ben Simmons to Giannis at all, but just purely from the skill set point of view, when you look at Giannis, he's obviously got a different work ethic, a different mentality, and he's willing, to, he's willing to fail and he's willing to put himself in the position to fail, which is pretty rare. And then you look at a guy like Ben Simmons in Philadelphia that hasn't been, hasn't been empowered to do that. And I think that for Bud, as in terms of dealing with personalities, de- dealing with the mental aspect of the game, it's a really difficult balance to make because you can look at Giannis and say, okay, sure, a, a pull-up three with 19 seconds left in the shot clock, that's not a great shot. But if I tell you to stop shooting that, what is that going to do to your mentality? That's, that's my whole point. And that's where you don't want to mess with him. And I, and I use this analogy, and it's not that linear, you know, apples to apples, whatever. But, but when I played uh, for Don Nelson, my second year in the league, I averaged 20, almost 26 points a game, 55% from the field, great win share and all that, all that good stuff. And before my third year, Nelly asked me or pretty much told me that he wanted me to average instead of 30 a game, which I could have done my third year, to bring that back down to 20 a year because that's the the vision he had for the team, more of a ball sharing, balance scoring type of a team. And 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 so my point was is it was that that season we lost to the Sonics in a seventh game. And there was never really any defined roles in terms of who was the guy. You know what I mean? The balance thing is great, but come playoff time, you need that alpha dog to carry you and get you a bucket when you need a bucket. And so with Giannis, you don't want to mess with that dynamic whatsoever because, you know, and not that it just might take away from his aggressiveness and other aspects of the game and, and, and just get him to think too much. You don't want to, with Giannis, you just don't want to, you, you, you don't want to put another iota of a thing to mess with his thought process right now. Just, it's always, it's always intrigued me when, when he would miss a bunch of free throws and, and someone would say, well, he needs to get back in the gym. My thing was, no, he needs to go home and play with Liam, get away from basketball. He works out way more than anybody, you know, could ever, ever expect. And so for him, it's almost better to not have the extras placed on him and put those restrictions about what to shoot, what not to shoot. And he's figuring out, what well, was game six, he didn't take a three-point shot or game five, whatever it was. I mean, there was, there was a game where he didn't take a three. And so people were like, well, that's good. He's not going to take another three in the series. No, he was two for six, wasn't game seven, you know, which for him is, is, is a solid percentage. But uh, you've got to give him that freedom because of who he is and the type of talent that he possesses. He can, he can impact the game in so many ways. 
So onto this Atlanta series, clearly a surprise Eastern Conference Finals matchup. I mean, I think when we were projecting this, I don't know how deep you would have to go to your projections to think that Atlanta were going to be here. But nonetheless, this is a super talented team. Offensively can really score the ball. And we've seen that firsthand late in the regular season with the game between Atlanta and Milwaukee where Trey Young didn't even play. I know that you watched this game uh, recently, yesterday, whenever it was. So I've got some questions about that. But as, as far as Atlanta goes, it all starts with Trey Young, clearly on the offensive end. He proved in Game 7 that he can have an off-shooting night. But one, he's not going to stop shooting the ball. And two, he's an excellent, excellent facilitator. What is it about Trey Young that makes him so difficult to defend and so unique? Well, I mean, it's just mental toughness. I mean, for a guy his size, it's 6'1", 180, to uh, absorb the physical pounding and to initiate some of the some of the physical contact. He's, I mean, they they changed rules, you know, just recently because of his ability to draw fouls and stop in front of guys after coming off a ball screen and guys, you know, they've changed rules because of him. So so his his toughness, his intelligence as a player, and then more tangibly on the court. And this seems like a small thing to the to the to the uninitiated, but you you you'll feel me on this. He's one of the best left-handed passers. <laughs> you know what I mean? His off-handed passing. So, so there's no real, real weakness in terms of his vision. When he's got the ball, he's on the move. He can fire a bullet pass, cross court, right on the money, right in the shooting pocket with the left hand, with the right hand, and the floater game. I mean, the floater game is something. Now, now that floater, that floater is like you know ninety point nine five points per shot compared to one point three seven points per shot for something in a restricted area. So you'd rather give him a floater than to have Capella catch lobs, but it's that's easier said than done. You know, that's where the discipline is going to have to take hold if you're Brooke Lopez and not bite on him coming off that screen with the, with a the guy on a rear contest defensively like a Drew Holiday and have him set you up to just kill you on that uh, live pass to Capella. But uh, anyway, so between those three factors, I mean, just, just, just his, his handle, his skill, his range, he's one of those Steph Curry-type shooters that doesn't shoot like my old-school conventional jump shot. It's more that little quick push shot so he doesn't need much room at his size to separate and get it off and he can shoot it out to about you know 28 to 30 feet uh, uh consistently when he's on so he's a handful and the fact they set more screen pick and rolls i think he led the league i know at least last year at one point in terms of uh, ball screens per game so it just makes it really really a tough tough challenge defensively to, to keep him in check. And then they surround him with all these great, you know, between Herder and, and uh, the rest of the guys, uh, Lou Williams and, and Bogdanovich and all these other guys who are great shooters. Uh, they surround him with a great cast of characters that really complement what he does. All right, Marcus, we're going to talk about Built Bar now, which, as all the listeners know, is one of my favorite snacks in the entire world because it's the best tasting protein bar that has ever been made. We've got fans out there that are eating good luck Built Bars before playoff games. That's the power of Built Bar. Did you know that Built Bar has nine delicious flavors uh, that include coconut, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie? You can keep going down the list. You can try them all with a mix box and you can get two of each. They're, uh, they're great for you. They're healthy. 17 grams of protein, only 130 calories, four grams of sugar, and only four grams of net carbs. So you can have it pre-workout, post-workout, pre-game or post-game. 
for that matter, or as Justin Garcia likes to do mid-podcast to really, uh, you know, just mess up with the audio. I don't know what Justin's trying to do here, but you can go to builtbar.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your first order. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at builtbar.com, and then jump across to betonline.ag, which is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season's in full swing. We know the NHL and NBA playoffs also, so you can get all the latest news, odds, and info at betonline.ag. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with the promo code Locked On. That's BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Obviously, an unbelievable point you make in terms of him being able to do it with both hands. We just saw James Harden, who's similar, similarly dangerous in the pick and roll and can shoot the floater and can facilitate. But the difference is that we've seen teams in the past try and push him right. You're not going to get away with that with Trey Young. Another clip that you, you posted yesterday that was really interesting, we've heard you talk about it a lot on the broadcast through the season. Eric Name wrote a story about it. And we've seen this kind of be an evolution with offenses where the Bucks in the past have been able to be really manipulated with how stringent they are defensively. This year, there's been more switching, but a way around the switching is this double drag screen, double stagger screen that we've seen a lot. And the Bucks have struggled with this. Now, just first of all, you've done it on the broadcast a number of times, but what is this set, if you can just describe that? And then why is it difficult to defend and why is it problematic for Milwaukee? Well, what's what's the, 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 the tricky part is that teams do a great job of misdirection, of doing something that, uh, doesn't make it obvious that they're going to go into a double drag screen or double ball screen. And so you relax a bit defensively, then they get into it. And what they do is use Brooke Lopez's uh, man that he's defending, Capella, John Collins, whoever it happens to be. He'll be that second guy on the double stagger screen. And so when the offensive player comes off, he's matched up against Brooke Lopez. Brooke Lopez is the guy that he's attacking because it's really tough. You got to really exert a lot of energy, have a lot of guile, be able to slip through screens. I mean, getting through two screens and all those bodies in a congested area is not an easy thing to do. So more often than not, a Bogdanovich, a Trey Young, they're coming off that last screen and it's Brooke that they're matched up against one-on-one. And that was something that uh, they did a, just a masterful job at uh, the, the April 25th game, Bucks and the Hawks when they beat us in Atlanta without Trey Young setting up Lou Will, Lou Williams, setting up Bogdan Bogdanovich, uh, coming off that double drag screen. So, you know, I've always felt for the Bucks one adjustment that they made to a decent level against Brooklyn was bringing Brooke up to the level of the screen as opposed to dropping all the way back. So, you know, and if you get beat by the, the, the roller, he slips, the big man slips on the screen and goes to the basket and you give up a layup or two, I'm okay with that as opposed to Brooke constantly getting uh, exposed by a smaller player. And we've seen it all season, even a double screen or not, but Chris Paul, Devin Booker and Phoenix, I remember a game down there. We've seen it a lot this year. And, and it's not Brooks' fault. He's seven feet tall, 280 pounds. He does, a, he does a yeoman's job of just giving an effort trying to stay in front of guys, but you're going to get beat by, by smaller, quicker ball players. And, and in today's game, these guys work on – exploiting those mismatches all off season long. And they've got all these escape dribbles, in and out dribbles, uh, all kinds of step back stuff, all types of stuff that that's specifically designed to have them have an advantage in situations like that. 
All right, I've only got a couple more for you, then I'll let, let you get back to, uh, I, I assume, sunny sunny LA right now. I'm sure the weather is, 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 is nice. Uh, but I want to talk about the offense. We, we saw a lot of conversations about this in the series against Brooklyn and the struggles, and you already pointed to. I mean, sometimes it's as simple as you've got to make shots. The Bucks were 33% in the series against Brooklyn overall in the postseason. They're only 31. So, I mean, they, are, they have really, really been struggling outside of... Chris Milton shot it pretty well against Brooklyn, Brooke Lopez as well, and obviously Bryn Forbes went off against Miami. But what have you seen from the offense? Is it as simple as that, as making shots? Did you think that they got a little bit stagnant in that series in, against Brooklyn in terms of playing a bit of isolation ball in intense moments? Well, I mean, so the, the further you go into playoffs, the better schemes, the better coaching that you're going to face. And everybody thought that Brooklyn's weakest link was their defense going into this series. And I'm not saying that they're the, you know, the 2008 Boston Celtics, one of the greatest defensive teams of all times, but they played good defense. And then they've got the, they've been Bruce uh, Brown is, is, is the kind of, of a body at six, four long, quick feet that can give Chris Middleton some issues. Uh, every time Giannis would spin, there's a defender right now. I mean, they really had a good sound defensive system of not allowing our shooters, Brent Forbes had very, very little openings in terms of wide open looks from the three-point line. Bobby Portis was a non-factor. They were chasing him off the three-point line, making him do something on the move. I mean, it's, it's, no, it's no secret. It's not rocket science. I mean, you got guys who are great spot-up three-point shooters, great catch-and-shoot guys up from the three-point line. You make them put it on the floor and push them into a crowd, and they did a really good job of that. But the thing is, is that the, the personality of this Bucks team, the, 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 the motto is let it fly. This is a team that, 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 that thrives on a three-point shot. So when you get to Charles Barkley and other people in the world saying that quit shooting threes and take the ball inside, this is not who this team is. Uh, and, and Coach Bud, you know, love him or hate him, he's going to stick with that philosophy. And I felt game seven that the shooting would come around. They made, what, 15 threes, I think shot 42% finally. Uh, you know, that, that, that those percentages will even out at some point. And hopefully they didn't have to wait until game eight for it to do so. <laughs> but uh, give the, my point is, is give the defense credit. I mean, Drew Holiday, I mean, Kyrie Irvin was a thorn in his side. Every time he would beat Kyrie, Kyrie wouldn't quit on the play. He would trail him and then slap at the basketball or do something to, to uh, disrupt Drew before he could get the, get the shot off. And it just it, they never allowed us to get comfortable. And that's the sign of a good defensive approach. And the fact we were able to win that series in spite of, I think, is a, is a real positive side because Atlanta, not as experienced. I'm not sure how much discipline they're going to have on defense compared to Brooklyn and their veteran players, Blake, Blake Griffin, Jeff Green, Brown that I talked about in that crew. Uh, so we'll see how they can uh, implement Nate McMillan's game plan. But Nick McMillan, good friend of mine, uh, when I work with the Sonics, we, we talk basketball all the time, sit, sit next to each other on team flights. He's, he's a punch-you-in-the-mouth kind of a guy kind of a coach. So he's going to come out and, 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 and they're going to play a real physically aggressive brand of basketball. If you watch the Sixers series, you saw that a lot. Uh, Embiid on his back, on his backside, an awful lot. So the Bucs uh, have got to be prepared for that. Just on Drew Holiday, this might have been the ultimate optimist in me, but I remember after game two, we did the post-game show and I said, listen, things aren't looking good right now. You were just down in a game by 49 points, but, but, and you know this better than anyone, the series is a, is a, a, a long series and things can change. And you look for little things to carry through to the next game. 
Chris Middleton started that game 0 for 8. And despite the fact it was a blowout, he was 7 for 12 from that point on. And I said, listen, he saw the ball go down. He's going home now. Hopefully this means something for him. Drew Holiday, I mean, you can talk about all the shots he missed, but boy, I mean, talk about coming up big in the biggest moment. As a player, is that something that will legitimately release some pressure perhaps on him, do you believe? One of my favorite sayings that, that, I, that I say is that, that you, you know, it's not how many shots you make, it's, it's when you make them, and for Drew, especially the playoffs. And so Drew, yeah, he struggled mightily, but that three-point shot that he knocked down late in the game, hit a, hit a, hit a sh- kind of a short corner jump shot uh, shortly thereafter, two big, big buckets for the Bucs. You know, look, he struggled. He'd be the first to admit it. He, he wasn't on his game offensively. I thought it was a combination of what, what Brooklyn was doing. I thought – he was sped up a little bit, a little, a little bit, I don't know if it was nerves, if you can call it that, for a veteran like Drew, but was a little jittery being in this position. You know, you, know you, you can, all of a sudden, you could be impervious to the pressure all season long, and then certain moments, it can, it can rear its ugly head and get to you. You know, I remember going against the New Jersey Nets uh, back in the, in the early 80s, 84, and um, the second game of that series, I think in Milwaukee, I was like one for 13. I don't know where the hell that came from. I'm a guy that was always mid-50s shooting from the field, and I just couldn't buy a bucket, you know, just and just couldn't couldn't figure my way out of it, you know. And uh, Don Nelson had to had to put the ball in my hands and, and have me initiate the offense, and that's where the, you know point forward and all that came from. But once he did that, it kind of took my mind off of uh, the struggles I was having offensively, and I played a great game six. We won it. Same thing with Drew. You just got to find a way to free him up a little bit mentally. And this is the thing, Kane. You know, you don't get fooled today on yesterday's pancakes, and so that. Brooklyn series was a whole different thing. This Atlanta series, Drew could come out, you know what I'm saying? Drew could come out and, and, and get 30 and, and, and play the best basketball of his life, which, which I'm counting on. I think the fact that the Bucs were able to get through that and move on to the next one was, uh, w- 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 is one of the things that's going to help him, I think, get this fresh start and approach this, this different series, different team, different schemes, different players that you have to go against. I think he'll approach it a lot differently. Well, last one, Marcus. I can't have you on without asking about Jim. And uh, people may say I'm biased, but uh, I'm going to push back on that heavily. The best partnership in the in the business, I would say. Incredibly entertaining and insightful. We had Jim on the show just before the Brooklyn series. And I told him when you guys were signing off for the last time, um, it, it looked like you got a little bit emotional. And I can tell you, when you started getting a little bit emotional, you nearly made me cry on my couch in Australia, Marcus. It, it, was, it was a great moment. And seeing the way you guys have obviously come together and really been unbelievable from the first game. Um, what, what has it been like working with Jim? Because you know, I mean, you know he's a le- legend in, in, for Milwaukee Bucks fans. Yeah, no, it's been great, man. And, and that's, that's, that's even an understatement for me because of um, the relationship that we've been able to, to to cultivate over these last six years uh, has uh, has been fun. Uh, we do more talking uh, off the court than we do uh, than I have done with any any partner I've had in years. And we talk, you know, politics. We talk the current state. We talk, uh, you know, social justice. We talk everything. And uh, he is and Jim is just really insightful. Uh, uh, you know, he's. Uh, there was a group of, of, of uh, young ladies, you may know, know the name of the group, that, that uh, they performed at the Grammys. Uh, they're from Southern California. I can't think of their names, but, but I mentioned them on the air somewhere, and Jim was like, yeah, you're in my iPod right now. You know? <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute, Jim, you're 69. I, I don't even know their name, and, you, and you're telling me you're listening? 
Oh yeah, I love them. I love them. They're one of my favorites, you know. But but that's just Jim. And so, uh, I, you know, wish him wish him all the best. It's been a real, and he, he and he's the guy. So here's here's our production meetings, man. In the morning we have a production call, uh, 10 a.m. Uh, Milwaukee time, the day of every game. And so I'll just throw out about 30 different ideas of the thoughts about the game and the teams, and and I'll end my conversation each and every time was okay, Jim. Now make some sense of that. And so Jim would say, okay, so let's see, you want to, yeah, I mean, I agree with this point. We'll do, so we'll start with this and then we'll move on to, you know, and so Jim always makes sense <laughs> of all the madness is going on in my mind. So that's the thing I'm going to miss most because he understands, he gets me, you know, I can, I can just, you know, bl- blabber on and on about 20 different things, but he'll make it concise and make it uh, television friendly. And he's just a, he's just such a professional at what he does. And it's been a pleasure, pleasure being for these six years. And of course, we should mention Zora as well, who is an absolute star in her own right and heading over to Tokyo to, to cover the Olympics, which is just, uh, it's, it's absolutely awesome. I, I'm certainly very fortunate to have, to have met you all and, and got at least a, a little bit of time to, to spend with you guys. But Marcus, this has been awesome. I think everyone that's listening to this show is certainly excited for game one, as I said, at 7.30 p.m. Central Time, Wednesday night at Fiserv Forum. Again, I still have to wrap my head around the fact the Bucks have got home court advantage back. It's unbelievable. But Marcus, uh, you are an absolute star. And I'm telling you, it's always a thrill for me anytime we get to chat. All right, man. My pleasure, Ken. Thank you very much.